Thank you, Elder Davis. It's a real privilege and treat to be here. That was, uh, you just saved about a half hour of my introduction. <laughs> that was well done. We can sing more then, right? Uh, now, I bring you greetings from Providence Church in St. Louis, and I'm very honored that, that your church has sought me out to do this. Um, after many years of teaching, that you would remember the conference and would actually would like me to bring that content to all of you here is, is quite an honor. I love to meet with other churches, other brothers and sisters, and get out of my cage, if you will, because, you know, when you're playing for worship every Sunday, you don't take too many times off, and so to actually worship with other brothers and sisters is a, is a rare privilege, so thank you for having me. Um, um, I may talk more about my, my personal introduction later, um, but uh, just, just a thought here. Um, think about the things that you have in your house. Think about what is the oldest thing that you might own, how far back that goes. Maybe you have an old heirloom, or maybe you have an old book that you found in a library or something. What is the oldest thing that you have, that you own. Um, this, is, this is not rhetorical. <laughs> Anybody want to share? Uh, by the way, uh, you can all hear me fine? Every, every audio is good? Good. I shouldn't ask that. We've got a, we've got a pro doing <laughs> Of course the audio is fine. Who, who would like to share? Yes. 1881? Wow. That's pretty good. That's impressive. Wow, wow. So we're talking late 1800s, early 1900s, maybe somewhere in there? Okay. Yes. A hundred-year-old piano. Wow, that's wonderful. Yes. Oh my goodness, that's amazing, that's amazing. I think the oldest thing I have is a powder horn from my, I guess my great-grandfather from the 1800s. Um, so we're, about 1800s is about it, right? That's pretty good. Um, if you were to travel to an art museum, you might be able to go back even farther, right? You might be able to see treasures from lands near and far, from centuries ago, right? I mean, I'd like you all to uh, grab your Contus Christi and hold it in your hands. It doesn't really feel like an art museum, does it? But it's, it's a musical museum. It's a, it's a treasure of artistic, literary, and musical compositions that have been handed down to us through the ages. Um, in fact, let's go to page 446. No, 440, yeah, 446. 446. This is the chronological index of the music, how, from the oldest to newest. On the very top left of 446, look how old the oldest hymn tune in this book is. Somebody call that out. What year is that? 800. So guess what? You have something that's 1,000 years older than your oldest stuff. 
that you just fessed up to, okay? Um, and when you really think about it, that's just the music. The, the psalm texts themselves, of course, we don't have the Hebrew psalms in Hebrew, but we have translations of them. We're talking about the psalms of David, which is, I think, about 1000 B.C. So we're talking about, we have the heritage of the church selected for us, curated for us, like a curator of an, of an art museum would select from all the treasures of the world, of all the times and places. You have, in one volume, at least 3,000 years of textual contributions translated so that we can sing it, and at least, what's 2,000 minus 800? 1,200 years of music. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so... That's why I said one of my key objectives in this, in this class is going to be to help you appreciate the heritage of what you have. Okay? Now you're excited, right? Ooh. <laughs> you can still keep the 100-year-old piano, though. That's a good thing. Because you can't, you can't play the book. All right. A little bit more about me. Um, again, thank you. Thank you, Rob. I'm, was just, you might want to know a little bit about how I got to where I am and wear all these funny hats. I was born in Texas, but very early in life moved out east, and I was raised in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, through all my grade school and high school years. I am blessed to have, have had wonderful Christian parents, my mother's still living, and wonderful brother and sister who are both Christians. So my whole family is Christian, know, knew the Lord all their life. Grew up in a Reformed Presbyterian church, very um, similar to this with uh, singing the traditional hymnody. And just had a wonderful uh, Christian childhood. Give much praise to God for that. Came to St. Louis to attend Washington University. Ended up majoring in music, as Elder Davis said. During my last few years there, met my bride-to-be, Barbara. Uh, Barbara, stand up and say hi. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, at, well, at the church that we were attending, not at, this, not at school, it was at church, met her at church, good place to to meet folks, right? Um, we were married. We lived our first few years in Evansville, Indiana, where I made a career uh, change into information technology. Been doing that for 30-some years full-time. Came back to St. Louis, settled down. That's where all the grandma and grandpas-to-be were. And um, then, the, then the family came, as you've already mentioned, Daniel, our son, Lisa, our daughter, her husband, Matthew, our grandson, Jaden, and Parker James on the way. If I forget something, you're going to have to be doing good so far. Okay. Shortly after, about a year after we came back to St. Louis from Evansville, I can walk around, can't I, because this cool thing. Ooh, <laughs> so nice. Correct me if I start to abuse that freedom, all right. Um, we came back to uh, St. Louis, and I found, we found, discovered Providence Church. And I just want to talk a little bit about our church because it's been so formative. We've been there since 85, so that's coming up on 34 years. Uh, our founding pastor, David Weinkoff, was very foundational for us. Also was passionate about hymnology. Our church has always been passionate about church music and liturgy. Our, the uh, music director who I, I worked under for the first five years before he left us was Duck Schuler, Louis E. Schuler Jr., affectionately known as Duck. And yes, it's Duck, not Doug. Some, do some, are any of you familiar with him from his time at New St. Andrews and things? Okay. He happens to be the fellow who compiled this hymnal. He's your museum curator. <laughs> and I got to labor under him 
for five years and be in his choir and imbibe his philosophy of worship music, which really was formative to me because my philosophy had, was not there at that time. And he, he was, I, I can't say enough about his influence in my music philosophy and just the passion for music, for the Psalms. He brought the singing of the Genevan Psalms to our church. There's a lot more I could say about Duck. Uh, I imbibe from him how to, um, imbibe might not be the best word, but you know what I'm saying, osmosis, um, how to lead a choir. I had not, um, as a music major, had not really majored in choral conducting or anything, more instrumental in composition. So just learning his interpretation of music and choral music was, was great to have that. Then uh, Pastor Jeff Myers came, and we've had him for coming up on 25 years, and of course he's passionate also about lit- liturgy and the proper use of music. He and I have taught classes together at Providence, one of them for a whole 13-week quarter. That was really enjoyable, um, which means, of course, this is, how can you, <laughs> we taught for 13 weeks, so you get four hours today, so we'll <laughs> talk fast, right? Not only our senior pastor, but our newly minted assistant pastor, Caleb Scogan, who I believe has spoken here, right? You're familiar with him. He's very also passionate about church music and knowledgeable. He actually composes some of the chants that we use, chants, okay, as opposed to chants. I'm going to say chants, but you know what I mean, chants, right? Otherwise, it's going to be hard all day, all right? So I can't say enough about Providence Church and its formation of me musically. I think that's, you can see why we wanted to start with something fun like the museum instead of all this intro stuff. I think that's enough intro about me, but I think it's important for you to rejoice with me in how the Lord has brought me this opportunity to serve and learn and then to be able to share, share this um, uh, with, with you all and with other churches. So, that uh, that fair enough? We want to get into the good stuff, right? Okay, so more about the objectives of what I'm hoping to achieve today. Number one is to help you, and some of this is not written in. I left blank space for you to write in. Some of this you'll find is very verbose and you have, you might not need to take so many notes, but this is a place where you, if you want to jot down, you can. Number one, I want you to appreciate the privilege you have of singing and worshiping. We are created as worshiping beings, and as listening to you, this is, I'll just back up here and this is tricky because some of you are very steeped in this and you've been doing it years and years. You all sing gloriously. The, what, the opening hymn was just fantastic. So I've got a challenge here. I may be preaching to the choir. I am preaching to the choir because you're the choir of God's people, right? But I may be preaching to the choir in some instances and there may be other folks that are maybe new to the Conscious Christi or new to this kind of singing and you're going to be hanging on every word. You're not going to be saying, yeah, yeah, we know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... I hope you'll forgive me. I'm going to try to strike a medium balance um, as I do that. But So rejoice in the privilege you have of singing uh, God's word. Rejoice in the heritage you have in the Christian church in general of uh, the hymnody and chant and psalmody that's been passed down that survives and is still being written today. And rejoice particularly in this particular compilation that you have that you use at your church, the Contus Christi, because it's a particularly, I'll say that a lot, well done volume of, of research. Um, and, and, and in fact, just to show you, let's go back to that uh, index on 446. Am I moving around too much? For I'm good. He can follow me. Good. We're putting him to work here. 
page 446. Notice what a breadth it has. Not every hymnal will have this. Definitely not every hymnal will go back to the ancient music. And yet this goes all the way up to modern music. You have music from 1990, 1994, and 1999. Sometimes people criticize traditional hymnals and music because, well, it's not modern enough. It's too, you know, it's time-bound. You have stuff from maybe the 1600s through the early 1900s. And that's true in a lot of hymnals. In this hymnal, you don't have that limitation. You've got a very broad palette. And he has been... Uh, where's the other index? A lot of indexes. In fact, we may just, we may just start here. Um, well, not necessarily. Okay, so this is just the... This is the index of the music, but as you can see, it comes from, he's very eclectic too. Uh, if you just go down through this, we'll talk more about this when we get into the music survey, but you've got, it starts with plain song hymnody, that's the ancient chants of the medieval church. It goes into the uh, late Middle Ages and the Renaissance from multiple countries, England, Germany. Um, as you see in the right-hand column down near the bottom, French, German, then over to the right, Page, English, Dutch, Irish, Welsh, American hymnody, British. Okay, so he's, using the museum uh, analogy, he's, he's traveling all over the world, or at least Western Europe, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, there's something else I wanted to say. Uh, I was hoping there was an index of the hymn texts as to when they are from time, uh, time here, but I don't see that, so I won't, I won't go there right yet. But I want to talk more about some principles anyway. So that's, that's enough of the objectives, I think. Um, oh, just also want to help you be able to sing and adopt this music. I know some of the music in the Conscious Christi is difficult to sing. So hopefully we can have some tips about how, how to sing too. So helping you appreciate and also use. That's kind of in a nutshell. Learn, appreciate, use. Does that sound like a good way to spend your Saturday? Will that be useful time? Okay, good. We got one. We got one. Yes, the rest of you are stuck. Right? Pastor's wife, Trump's. <laughs> yes, you peeps. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Now moving on to principles. Um, when you think about, I don't want to just have this thing be a potpourri. I mean, if using the museum example, if you were to just stroll through the museum, oh, here's something nice. Oh, here's something nice. Oh, this is cool. That's a neat weapon. Oh, that's a wonderful picture. We're not going to do that. This is not just going to be a tour through church music for the sake of doing it, all right? I want you to understand some basic principles of worship, and I, and I know you already do because you're, you've been well trained, but first of all, let's note that the Spirit is present when we sing. And actually, before I go any farther, because I don't remember when we started, can, can someone tell me how long I have to, to, on this first talk, how much is left? 35 minutes? I have till 10.35? Thank you. Okay. Oh, that's, that's great. We have plenty of time. Okay. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 5. Second Chronicles chapter 5. If you want to turn to it, you can, or I will just read some selected portion. I want to show you what happens when, when we sing, the Spirit is present. Okay? I'm going to read selected verses from Second. Chronicles 5. This is when the ark was brought to the temple. This is starting in verse 2. 
Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel in Jerusalem to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, or out of Yahweh. Do you all say Yahweh sometimes when it's printed Lord? Okay. Of the, house, of the covenant of Yahweh out of the city of David, which is Zion. Now I'm going to skip all the way down to verse uh, 12. Because this is about the music and the singing. And all the, Levit- uh, all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. That would be awesome. I don't think I've ever seen 120 trumpets all together. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to Yahweh. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That was the song. The house, the house of Yahweh was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of Yahweh filled the house of God. Okay? When the people of God sing... The Spirit empowers us. So you're singing. That's what the Spirit helps you do. Also, the, um, in Ephesians, it says, uh, be filled with, 519, be filled with the Spirit. What is the first thing does it say is the mark of the Spirit? Making melody in your heart, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And it goes on to talk about that. But music, singing. So as, as the church sings, that's a manifestation of the Spirit. You have a a great privilege there. In fact, Luther said, next to the word of God, music is to be most highly esteemed. Um, Music also is used to mature us. It's a a tool that will help form us. And I think you've, you've, you've heard this before as I talked to Elder Davis about that. It helps us as, as it says, I think Paul says, in, I don't remember the exact reference, but he says that we may reach the measure of the perfect man, that we may reach the measure of maturity. Along with the word of God, music can form us. Music can form our affections. You are what you love. There's a book called that. And music is very formative that way. Music itself, I'm going quickly here for those of you who are trying to write it down. I was going to give you bullet points. So the first one was um, spirit makes us sing. Then this one, then maturity is a word you could write down. The other word you could write down is music is formative. That's a principle. And by that, I've talked about how it trains our affections. It even trains your belief. As you sing the creeds and the hymns, it's teaching you. Those hymnody is teaching you. The form of the music is actually the message. Okay? Um, for example, and I'll, I'll probably use this example later. If I said to you, the Lord is mighty, strong in battle. He shatters the bows and shields but what if i did this mighty is the lord strong in battle would that work how about mighty is sorry mighty is the lord the strong in battle something like that would be better right so if you have a disconnect with the music in the text then the text is teaching you one thing the music is teaching you something else. No, God's not mighty in battle. He's gentle and soft, which he is gentle, but then sing, then sing. Merciful is God in his heaven. Sing that, right? Okay. Right? When you sing the Lord is my shepherd, then you sing mercy. Okay. So, 
Music is formative, and the form and the music matters. It's not just, well, as long as we have the words right, we're cool. Much of a lot of what's happening in the modern church, and I'll talk about that, it's, well, you know, we get to use the music we like because all that matters is the words. Okay, that's not, that's not true. Now, I'm going to move right into, because I may have stepped on some toes. In fact, I probably did. I was going to try to avoid that, but it's not possible. <laughs> Two other words, discernment and charity. How about if I come out a little bit? Can I do that too, Mr. Cameraman? All right, I might be easier. It's, I don't want to be hide behind everything here, especially since I have this cool mic. My daughter is involved in a lot of theatrical stage production, so this is my one chance to be her and feel what she feels and do what she does, but I can never do what she does. Um, she's amazing at that. Anyway, um, because of what I said so far and how music is formative and everything, we have to exercise discernment. We have to pick because there's so much out there. What do we use? You make choices, right? Somebody decided, well, unless you bought this as is, which you may have, to make the pews red, to make them padded instead of hardwood, to carpet or not to carpet, what color to paint. You make decisions. In, you have to make decisions. Well, somebody has to decide what are we going to sing. How do you make those decisions, right? That's, that's the point. Well, as you do that, and as the church has done that, and as Duck has done by what he's included and not included, that's making choices you turn out to be different than maybe some other church traditions. Maybe some of you have come from some other traditions. I did. When I was in college, in, in my college and early post-college years, I was in churches that did praise and worship type music. I led praise and worship. You might be surprised. That's when I said Duck was formative. He kind of brought me back into, um, you know. So I've, I've pretty much done the gamut. I mean, guitars, sung praise songs, sung in a band that performed, things like that. Not rock. I was never really into heavy metal, but do you know what I mean? Just the contemporary. Um, so as we think about talking about why we don't do this or why we don't do that, that's where the charity comes in. I have no desire, and I told Elder Davis this, it was my one reason if I wouldn't have done the conference would be this. I said, I have no desire to come and in telling you what's good, throw other churches, other traditions, other types of music under the bus. That's not what I'm here to do. I will show you why we all think certain music works better, especially in, this is my next principle, write it down, context. Write that down, and I'll talk about it. Why in the context of corporate, do you, do you have a, do you call it covenant renewal worship here? Okay. In the morning service of covenant renewal worship, when you're doing the, litur the liturgy, which is the story, God comes with us, he meets with us, we offer ourselves, he forgives us, we commune with him. During that story that we reenact every week, certain music helps make that work better. And so music, now I'm flowing into the context, music that might be appropriate other places, maybe you use it in an informal gathering, maybe you use it at Bible school or at a Bible camp or in your car, okay? But maybe it's not the best selection for Sunday morning, okay? See what I'm saying? So I want to be charitable to musicians that maybe I might use their music as a contrast, or if I use a hymn that maybe is your favorite, and I hope you'll forgive me if I say, this is one that isn't the best, and you go, oh no, but that was grandma's, okay? I want to be charitable about that, okay? My, and I, I have not always been, I will admit that, in some of my church music teachings, I have been not charitable. I could say more about that, but I won't. I, I intend to try to do better at that and be respectful, because these are all the Lord's people that are writing this music. It's all the Lord's people that are singing it. And frankly, I think 
It's, it, the, our heart is the most important. And you know that verse that says, better is a, a, a meal of vegetables with peace than a fatted calf with strife? Well, better is the simplest praise song with a holy heart than the most awesome chant sung in pride and anger and sin, right? So it'd be nice if you could have both, <laughs> the best music and the, and the godly heart, but all the music that God's people sing in a humble heart I think God takes pleasure in, but we're just trying to find out what works the best. Does that make sense? Okay. I think that may have covered most of my principles, but let me, let me see if I... Oh, no, there's a really fun one. I, I, haven't, oh, there's a, I get excited about this. When I lead the choir on Wednesday nights, we're like, oh, I love this song. I'm, I'm so glad... Well, of course, I wouldn't have picked it out of the library if I didn't. I get to pick them all, so of course I like them. Well, here's one you're gonna, I'm going to teach you all, but you probably won't like it. I really hate it, but it's good for us. I should probably do that once in a while, like my mom making us eat liver and onions and Harvard beets when I was growing up. She, she made us eat every, maybe you liked liver and onions. I didn't at first, but of course you learn to like it because what you, right? Anyway, choir members, by the way, all my family is in the choir. I forgot to mention that. I'm very blessed. All the kids and grandkids live in the St. Louis area, so we get to see them often, and they all go to the same church, and they even sing in the choir, and I promise I don't force them to. At least that's my side of it. So, and so we're, we're very musical, all of us, so just another blessing. Um, okay, we're, we're almost done um, with the, this. Oh, yes, training is another word you can write down. You know, you have to be trained for the liturgy. You, you, you train your children in everything, right? They don't just come out knowing how to make their bed or sweep their floor or build something or make puzzles, right? They know how to do some things naturally, but you train them, right? And in church, you're training, you're teaching them the Bible and the orders of the books and the creeds, right? Well, why should we think that, well, gosh, music should be easy. I just want to sing what, what, what I already know and like, what's easy. Why should I have to work so hard at this? Well, it's part of the church. It's part of your learning. You have to learn the creeds. Well, guess what? You get to you get to you get to learn some of the music that the church has given you. Okay. And to answer the question that I, I anticipating a, a question, so what that there's a hymn back here from the 800s? Why do I care? I don't go back and get the bronze weapons that I saw in the art museum and hang them on my wall. Maybe I don't care. That's just that happened back in ancient Greece or something. Who cares? The reason you are going to care or you do care about the ancient music is because it has been formative. It's actually the foundation for much of the other music that we have in the modern hymns, okay? And so understanding that helps you embrace that and see how the church has wisely built upon it, okay? So unlike the museum analogy, no touch, no handle, right? You get to use these treasures. You need to, and we have the privilege of doing that. But you need to be trained how to, and this is one reason why I'm here today. Um, oh, I think I have one more fun thing to say. This is the best. This is the best one. It's not the best one, but it's the most fun because I actually get to play the piano and get started. Music is a very subjective thing, and when you start talking about music, you can step on a lot of toes quite easily because people like what they like, and it's like I know we have to believe the Bible, but. Music is kind of a choice thing, right? And yes, there is a lot of freedom there. And there's many styles of music. And even through the church music that we would say is some of the best music that is in here, there's a wide variety of styles. But there is some level of objectivity in just the way music works. I'm speaking to you now, and there's sound waves. 
okay? The waves, you, put, you drop a pebble in a, in, a, in a lake and it starts to spread out in waves, right? In circular waves. Everything that we experience comes in waves. Uh, light waves, sound waves, things like that. So music is basically sound waves coming to us. Those waves have physical properties, creative properties that you can't alter, okay? And I just wanted to show you how this works, and it's very exciting. Um, it, I'm going to be talking now, it may get a little technical, but hopefully it won't, about what's called the harmonic series. Whenever you play a tone, there are harmonies built into that tone. For example, how many of you have ever... Uh, jumped rope or swung a jump rope for a kid or at least have seen it know what I'm talking about the old big old jump ropes okay enough all right how many of you have vacuumed with the vacuum and you kind of flung the cord around and watched it ripple down the cord like a snake okay how many of you haven't done either of those okay how many of you have seen the cord snake or the jump rope most everybody good I can talk about waves let's say I, I, I had a, a tied a rope to a fixed end and I shook it up and down just real slow it would kind of go like this and then like this right concave and make like a football right right or if you plucked a rubber band have you ever put rubber band on an oatmeal can and it goes back and forth kind of like this an envelope of vibration that looks like this right you know what I'm saying right it's doing that at a certain bass frequency that's the basic tone so if I play a note on a piano It's doing that at its basic frequency. Let's say it's doing that at 100 beats per second. Yeah, it really goes that many, okay? That's not really 100, but let's say it's 100. I don't want to say 111 or 79. It's too hard to do the math. That string is not only vibrating, and not just a string, anything. Um, a bone of flute, that column of air is vibrating at the thing. An organ pipe, a trumpet, any mus musical sound you make, a human voice is vibrating at that frequency. But it is also vibrating. If you shake, okay, what happens if I shake the rope or the cord a little faster? Have you ever seen it make two vibrations? It makes kind of a standing wave. It makes two little humps. It goes hump up this side and then hump down the other side. And it goes back and forth. You can do that with a jump rope if you shake it twice as fast, exactly twice as fast. It makes a standing wave that has a fixed point in the middle. You've basically halved, H-A-L-V-E-D, cut in half the wavelength, and you've made two waves that vi each vibrate twice as fast. Are you with me? Okay. Guess what happens if you shake a little faster? Three waves, like three little footballs. I wish I had a picture of this, but three little footballs end to end. The string is, it's like a sine wave, okay? Four, five, six. So you shake it faster and faster, and guess what? In a musical note, this one pitch is vibrating at 100. It's vibrating at 200. That's two of them. No way I can do three. It's vibrating at 300 and 400 and 500 and 600 and 700 cycles per second. It can't vibrate at 119, 211. You can't make it do two and a half waves, right? Two and a half. There's, there's an equal number of waves. That's, and what I'm saying is that's built into physics. That's objective. That's how the created world works. What's really cool about that, though, and why we care and why it does music is if this is what 100 sounds like, do you know what 200 sounds like? It's not this, and this isn't 300, and this isn't 400, and this isn't 500. 
Isn't that lovely? No, that's not lovely. This is 100. You know what 200 is? Do you know what five, 300 is? 400, 500, 600. Hear that ring? Do you know why it's ringing? Because 100 is also ringing at 200, just a little softer. So 200 string goes, oh yeah, I got a brother. I'm going to ring. And 200 says, I'm going to ring at 400 because 400 is higher than 200. But 200 is also going 300. And 300 goes, you're waiting for me to do that one, aren't you? I used to be able to. So 300 and 600 are doing their thing. And 300 has its fifth, which is 450, right? And so all these multiples. So, but you don't hear them all. They're kind of hidden. But if I hold the strings of the piano down, you know how a piano has dampers? And as soon as I let up, it stops because they all have little felt dampers. It's like, shh, no talkie. When you push a note down, Two things happen at the same time. It whacks the string with a hammer and it lifts the damper right before it so it can go, ma. Otherwise, it'd be like, right? So I hit the, so that damper's up. But if I push down the dampers on 200, 300, 400, and 500, can you hear me softly do that? I'm not going to push the hammers down. That's too hard. I'm just going to hold the keys down. Now the damper's are up. I'm going to hit 100. And two, three, four, and five are going to ring. Can you hear it? The most one you hear is 200 is bigger, but you can also hear, whoa, there's 300. Now here's 400. Whoa. And very faint. Here's 500. Whoa. It's hard to hear. But the point is, to make it, one point is, that's a major chord. That's the major triad. Every kind of music from ancient to modern, and they hit a rock chord. Oh, sorry. Children, you've never ever seen that, right? Uh, <laughs> the classical guitarist, when he plays his, he plays his lute, right? Anyway, um, they all are doing the same thing. They are taking advantage of that. They are letting the overtones ring, okay? So there's nothing new. It's been doing it since... Well, that's just how the cosmos works. So that's why almost every symphony, how they end. Right? They're, they're all the brass and everything, they want everything because the horns are ringing too, the metal. Everything's ringing and it sounds like there's more than what's there because of all that. That is why the major chord. And our hymns too, like... Um, in a different key, if I do it in G. Sorry, I was th trying to think of one that is in that key. But basically, almost anything we sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's too high of a key, but praise Him all, right? Everything we, almost every hymn, we keep coming back to these major chords and being sonorous with, with sound, sonar, sonic, right? We're sonorous because we're in harmony with the created world. And that's my whole point of that. But not just that the major chord is, the harmo is, a, is a fleshing out of the harmonic series, but all the notes in the scale are in there. Remember I showed you um, this one? This is like C, G, 
high C and E. You keep going up. So the scale is in there. The scale is in there is is part of the harmonic series. So basically, as the church used the scales and developed, and we'll talk about these more, the church modes and the Gregorian modes. Pythagoras, you may have heard of him, the, the Greek Pythagoras, he kind of discovered how all this works and notated the scales, and then later the Greeks came up with these modes that Gregory the Great will talk about used in the Gregorian chant. So many of the chant is based on the modes, which are different scales, and we'll talk more about this. The whole reason I'm bringing this up now is to show you that music at some level is objective. You can't escape the physics of it, okay? And, and, and the church has used that to build on the intervals and the scales and the things that are just basic to how sound works and trying to make intervals and sounds that are harmonious, okay? That's my point of, 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 of talking about that. And I still have 15 minutes, is that right? Wow, good. And we got through the, I was hoping to get through this, this uh, intro, intro stuff before um, we got out of time. Good, well that's enough of that. So we can, uh, we can now start talking about church music history. And here's where we have lots of uh, things already pre-written for you. And if all that didn't make sense, or if you're not seeing the connection, don't worry, you will, okay? We'll get there. Now, this is, this is, <laughs> this is a near impossible task. We're going to start with the music of the Hebrew Psalms, which, as I said, is uh, from the time of David. So we're, we're talking uh, 1000 BC all the way up to the present day. So I'm going to have to go very quickly and not only am I going to go very quickly, I'm going to be somewhat selective. I'm not going to go into quite the depth on each topic that I, and even, I'm going to focus a lot on the earlier things because they're more foundational. So I, I hope you'll be okay with that. So I'm going to talk more about some of the ancient music and how it has shaped our foundation for the, uh, some of the, the later music. I won't be talking as much about late American hymnody, English hymnody from the 1900s, 20th century hymnody as much as I would like because I want to focus on the music of the biblical times, the early church, the reformers, and Reformation music, since we're a reformed congregation. Does that make sense? Sound good? We just need to smile. Somebody, some people like that. That's good. Okay. All right. Well, we, we can't just start talking about the church unless we talk about the church in the time of the Old Testament, the Hebrew, you know, God's people in the time of the Hebrews, because that's, we have the gathered music. Basically, two kinds of music, canticles and psalms. Um, who can tell me what a canticle is? Because I bet you already know. Somebody knows. A song. Do you know what cantus Christi means? I hope I get this right, Duck, if you're listening. Cantus is songs. Christi, of course. I think these are songs of Christ or Christian songs. Something close to that. C-A-N-T. Cant is the root word. Like a contour or cantor. If, who leads in, you know, now let us sing unto the Lord. And then people all, right? It's the cantor. It's, he's canting, right? Cantus, it's the Latin word for song. Canticle, same thing. There are many songs in the Bible like that. The oldest one, I believe, is the song of Miriam and Moses in Exodus 15. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider 
thrown into the sea. Do any of you know that song? Do, do you know the, have you all sung it? We sing it at Bible schools. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Then the, the Lord, my God, my strength, my song, has now become my victory. Then one more phrase. The Lord is God and I will praise him. Right? And all those three tunes go together and make a nice little round. It's a very fun song. That's not actually, we don't know what they're, how they sung it. That's, that's a good way to remind us of that. Only tr- trouble is it's just is the three verses of it. <laughs> if you look at the Exodus 15 song, which I won't, it goes on for quite a bit. And that's one point I will be ending up making. This is tricky too. The points I'm going to be making, you just have to hang on, folks, because they're going to be scattered throughout. Biblical song texts are, very, are usually lengthy and doctrinally dense. He'll say, for the Lord is this, and he delivered me here, and we were going through the sea, but then it is, and then he drowned Pharaoh's armies, and then and then. It's the whole litany, all right? It's not just those three little verses that we just sung, but those are fun and are a good introduction to the story. There are other songs. There's the song of Hannah, when the Lord blessed her with Samuel. There are songs in the New Testament, most primarily, who can tell me what's the most famous song in the New Testament that we sing? Whose who, who song? Hmm? Magnificat, which is whose song? Mary, magnify. Magnificat, magnify. My soul doth magnify the Lord. Okay? And there is the song of Simeon, which is also known as the Nuke Dimittis, which is Latin for now dismiss. As Simeon said, now dismiss thy servant. Whoop. Ten minutes. Thank you. Good. Um, yeah. By the way, a word about these talks. These talks aren't necessarily like, okay, talk one is this topic in the, in the handout in case you're like, oh my, he's never going to make it. I'm just going to go. <laughs> we may stop in the middle. Oh, at, we're, we're done at point seven of talk. You know, we're just going to go. And I may go back and reference things. So we're just going to have fun with it. Don't worry about that. Um, all right. So there's all these canticles. They're not all necessarily noted that they're songs. Like in Exodus 15, it says, and Moses and the Israelites sang this song to Yahweh, and it, so we know it was a song. The other ones, why do we call them the Song of Mary and all these? I think the church has realized that the language, you know in your Bibles, oftentimes if you read like in Kings or Chronicles, it looks like paragraph and it looks narrative. Then you get to Psalms or Job, and it looks all indented different, and it looks poetic. Most, many translations do that. You notice when it has the Song of Mary or uh, these others, it looks like that. It's poetic. So the, the, the church has adopted these and says, hey, these are songs or they should be sung. This is sung poetry just like the psalms are supposed to be sung. So now about the, the psalms. And there's a lot to say about the psalms here um, that, that I could say. How many minutes? Less than 10 now, right? Let's, um, in fact, this would be good. We can get, we can get through. Let's, let's talk about the psalms some. You can go now to page 6, and this is what I mean about jumping around a bit. It's okay to spend a lot of time on this because this is important. The Hebrew Psalms were the first songbook of the church. God's divinely... Wait, you know what? Am I reading? Yes, I'm on page 6. God's divinely inspired songbook for his people. Jesus said... um, when he was talking to the Pharisees, quoting Psalm 110, how is it then that David, speaking in the Spirit, 
then calls him Lord. He's posing a question without giving you the context. The point is, Jesus is quoting Psalm 10, 110 where it says, the Lord, Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make thine enemies uh, my footstool. Jesus quotes that to the Pharisees to say, well then, if you riddle me this, well then, how then does David, speaking in the Spirit, call him Lord? So, well, what does it mean, speaking in the Spirit? David was speaking in the Spirit when he wrote the Psalms. So I don't need to convince you that, but the point is, we have a Spirit-inspired body of literature that we are to sing. We know where to sing it because, and I, many of them say, right in the, you know, Psalm so-and-so, a Psalm of David, to the chief musician, right? And so they say, hey, choir director, y'all need to do this one right? Okay. Many of them say that. Or it says, to the tune of, right? And then some funny Hebrew term, okay? So we know they were to be sung. We know they're to be sung in public worship because to the chief musician. Um, let's see here. I have some thoughts on that. So they're, they're foundational to all music that came later. They're foundation to all the Christian hymns hymnody. Um, they are to be accompanied instrumentally. Uh, in Psalm 150, it says on stringed instruments. They are to be accompanied with a variety of instruments. In Psalm 150, it says, you know, uh, without turning to it, doesn't it say, you know, praise him with harp and lute, praise him with loud clashing cymbals, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, praise him with pipe and flute, all right? So instrumental accompaniment, a variety of instruments sung in public worship. And when that happens, the glory of the Lord comes down as we opened with in Second Chronicles 5, right? We saw how that happened. Okay. Give me two minutes warning, okay, please? Um, ah, you'll notice, and I won't have time to prove this to you right now, but the Psalms are, are doctrinally dense, right? If you look at a Psalm, it, 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 most of them go on quite at length, and they tell a story, the Lord... He breaks the cedars of Lebanon, or the Lord is merciful and kind, or um, the Lord is mighty. It tells about the Lord, and it's, it goes on and on at length, talking about, about Yahweh. They focus on Yahweh. Yes, they focus on self too, but in the proper perspective. I trusted in Yahweh. I waited for Yahweh. Not like, I'm having a great day. I'm just so happy to be walking the highway of life. You know, it's not that kind of focus on self. It's... I'm focusing on, on Yahweh, and Yahweh's helping me. But there would be corporate. So even though we sometimes say I, and some of our hymns say I, not we, it's to be done together. It's a wonderful mix of personal relation with the Lord and yet sung together in a doctrinally dense, Yahweh-focused um, manner. They are emotionally rich and varied. There's praise the Lord, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. And then there is, um, oh, my soul is poured out in me right? Uh, all night, Psalm 6, I, I lay on my bed and weep, right? So there's, there's the whole gamut of, of human emotions. You can't exhaust the Psalms, and you, you guys know that. That's the wonderful thing about this hymnal and some others. It starts with the Psalms. You know that, right? All the first, quote, hymns. This is a Psalter slash hymnal, a Psalter hymnal, which is a wonderful tradition. The Christian Reformed Church also has one called Psalter hymnal. Um, very nice volume. And they all begin with, with, with the Psalms. And that's as it should be um, because they're so formative. Let's see. 
see if there's anything else I wanted to say about those. Ah, how many minutes, folks? Three, good, okay. I don't want to really go too far into the next, so I'll just say this. We have tapes and recordings of the psalms being sung in Hebrew, right? No, that's the sad thing. We only can go back as far as 1800, poor us. Only 1,200 years. We don't know what the Psalms of David sounded like. But I have an idea, and I think others have written on this. I think there's a book called The Sacred Bridge, which sadly I have not read, but I'll write it down. Because, I'll just put it out there. I think they were probably chanted. Because when you look at a psalm, unlike a hymn text, da, 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 and here's how the poem goes, and it fits within the beat, Till the song, its end we know. I had to make it rhyme. Okay. That's how hymns go. A psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How are you going to fit that into a, mm -hmm, you can't. Okay. But you can chant it. And that's what the church did first. And we'll talk about that. So I'm just going to make up a chant. I don't think this is, real like a, a one that I heard anywhere but I'm just making it up very simple a few tones sounds very monkish right you can do that the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he maketh me lie down in green pastures he restoreth my soul he leadeth me beside the still waters did I do, is that, I might have done it right. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, etc., etc. So you see how that works? You can cram it all into those notes. Now, it may get a little boring when you have to sing the same note until you finally get to cadence, okay? But then you start on the next note and you get to cadence again. All right? And that's a, a very simple psalm tone. That's what's called a psalm tone. We just have very many. Oh, we're done. One minute. Okay. Now we're going to have fun, right? You like this? This is where we're going to have some fun. One minute. So the only other way I could think that psalms could be done is if they wrote a custom tune. And there are some in here, but where they just set the whole thing however it goes with a custom tune that would flow and go with however long the notes are. And maybe when David said to the tune of Shigenbath or Shigenyal or whatever those words are, maybe it meant to, you know, that big long tune that goes, you know, the one, let's start at measure 94, the, the ninth tune, you know, the part where it goes like that for that really long stanza? Maybe the choirs did that, but we don't know. We'll find out more later. I'm getting the big zero here, so... Um, but I'm getting revved up, as, Pastor, as Elder Davis said. You think I have fun with it? Yes, I do, and the fun has only begun. <laughs> Thank you all for your apt attention.